Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To be honest, I was having a hard time figuring out what to say in a final sermon after 23 years of preaching here, 42 years of preaching since my ordination. It was, as you might imagine, an all but overwhelming prospect, especially having chosen ahead of time to preach on this assigned reading for today from Romans chapter 12, a passage which has no fewer than 20 specific instructions to followers of Jesus. Any one of them well worthy of a full sermon about how, as we were reminded last Sunday, a Christian community could be a non-conforming and transforming body of Christ for its community and for its world. On top of that, I had to prepare this sermon well ahead of time so that I could record this online service before Pastor Josh left for what I already said was some well-deserved vacation. But pretty soon, it occurred to me that I was probably giving this, the lastness of this sermon, too much attention, too much importance. While it is my last sermon before retiring on August 31st, it is really not likely to be my last sermon, and not even my last one here. For one thing, I know enough retired pastors to know that my days of preaching sermons are not coming to an end this morning. I will have plenty of opportunities to preach, probably as often as I want to. And here? Well, it won't be for a long while, that's true. But I've also been around long enough to know that when congregations get around to celebrating special events or anniversaries, they often drag former pastors out of the mothballs and dust them off to make an appearance. As it happens, yesterday, August 29th, 
was the 92nd anniversary of Emmanuel's founding back in 1928, which means that I've already got on my calendar occasion marked to come back and preach here sometime in the year 2028 for Emmanuel's 100th anniversary. You just need to remind Pastor Josh and Pastor Sarah to invite me when the time comes. So looked at in either of those ways, this is not my last sermon, either here or here at Emmanuel. And looking at it that way, at least allowed me to focus on the text and the task at hand and get started. The fact that this is my last sermon you'll hear from me for a while is enough of a burden for now. So, on then to this passage from Romans 12, and it's 20 instructions for living the Christian life, or to put it another way, 20 pictures of what life in a Christian community can and ought to look like. In fact, if you think of this passage as a picture album, it's then perhaps easier to imagine those 20 pictures divided into two distinct sections. One of them marked, let love be genuine. And the other one marked, overcome evil with good. Let love be genuine, overcome evil with good. Because according to Paul's list, those are the two main identifiers and marks of Christian community, the two highest callings and greatest challenges for the Church of Jesus Christ and for all people called into its fellowship. Let love be genuine. This section of Paul's letter to the Romans is an echo of his description of Christian love that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A love that is patient and kind, a love that is persevering and forgiving, generous in welcome, enduring, and doesn't keep score of offenses. It's as if Paul is saying, you know, there may be Facebook friends, but there are then also genuine friends. There are people you keep in touch with, people you show the best and happiest side of yourself to, and then there are people with whom you are honest, with whom you honestly share life's ups and downs, joys and struggles, people you count on to be there when you need them, and you are ready to go to when they need you. Today I am blessed to be able to say that in every congregation that I have served, I have experienced that kind of genuine Christian love. Not all the time, of course, and not in every person, but often enough, and in enough people, to know that the church can be what it's intended to be. In my first congregation, there was a dear couple named Herb and Lavira. He was the organist. She was the congregation's treasurer. Both were on the church council and key leaders that others trusted and looked up to and looked to for guidance. Without Herb and Lavira and their genuine love for people and their deep commitment to Christ and the church, that congregation would not have survived the turmoil and conflict that had preceded my call to be their pastor. They were patient. They were persistent. 
They responded to animosity with kindness and blessing. As much as it depended on them, they lived peaceably with all. In that same congregation was a man named Walter, a young husband and father who had only recently joined with his family and then surprised me by making a most generous gift to help the congregation complete renovations to its basement that were needed in order to open a preschool. When I called to thank him for his gift, he told me why he did it. It was because he remembered that when he was a teenager, his home church was asking for gifts to build an education and youth wing for a baby booming Sunday school. And he remembered that his dad took out a second mortgage on their house just so that he could make a substantial gift to his church for that effort. It was a lesson in Christian stewardship and generosity and joy that inspired Walter's response to this new endeavor. Well, believe me, I've got 42 years worth of such stories and we could be here all day while I told them I haven't even gotten to those past 23 years here at Emmanuel, but when I think of the words, let love be genuine, I think of so many saints living and no longer living, especially of this congregation. And if I named some of them now, I would feel badly for leaving out so many others. So maybe I'll just describe them using Paul's words and let you fill in the names and faces that come to your mind when you hear them. People who held fast to what is good. People who were ardent in spirit. People who rejoiced in hope. People who were patient and persevering despite unfathomable suffering and loss in their lives. People generous with their money. People generous in their welcome to others. People who rejoiced with the rejoicing and wept with the weeping. People who lived in harmony with others, even those they didn't agree with all the time. And to the extent that it depended on them, people who lived peaceably with all. I have been blessed to be pastor to a church filled with such genuinely loving people. Not all of them, as I said before, not all the time, but enough of them and often enough to know that Christian community is both possible and real. Those are some of the pictures and faces that I see in the Let Love Be Genuine section of this picture album from Romans. And then there's the overcome evil with good part. This, I have come to understand, is really what church is for when it comes right down to it. The genuine love within the community is wonderful in and of itself. The deep and caring friendships, knowing people will be there when you need them, the satisfying feeling of knowing that others can likewise always count on you. <clears throat> but God gives that blessing of Christian community for a deeper purpose and reason, mostly to build us up, strengthen and equip us for a much bigger challenge. As we saw on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus, God is out to defeat evil in this world, once and for all. And until that victory is complete, 
God calls us each day in our own lives and in our own ways to be engaged in that battle, even to overcome evil with good. Specific ways for that to happen are sprinkled all throughout this passage in things like blessing people who persecute you, not repaying evil for evil, not seeking revenge on those who hurt you, feeding your enemies, giving them water when they're thirsty, not repaying evil for evil in any way. And behind that is the confidence and the faith that good is in fact stronger than evil, and that in the end good wins, that the arc of history does indeed bend toward justice, that death does not have the last word, that Christ is risen, risen indeed. Not only believing that, but living it daily is the Christian walk. And once you take an honest look at what it takes to live that faith, to walk that walk, then you understand why Paul gives this instruction to a church, to a community, and not to individuals. It's as if Paul were saying, don't try this alone. It's too hard. You need other people. You're going to need a community of genuine love with you and behind you if you're going to attempt this. It's as if God said, I've sent Jesus and gathered you into his church so that together we can overcome evil with good. I read a story recently about a town named Wunsiedel in Germany, where a neo-Nazi group had annually held a demonstration and march to promote their hatred of Jews and others who differ from their ideology. Wunsiedel is in northeast Bavaria, and it was once home to the grave of Adolf Hitler's deputy, Rudolf Hess, and has therefore been a neo-Nazi destination and celebration point ever since. But back in 2014, the townspeople, who didn't like the gathering being the gathering place for such a group, decided together to try and overcome that evil with good. They came up with a brilliant idea of seeking sponsors who would donate money to programs that fight neo-Nazism for each and every step that this neo-Nazi marching group took. So that the longer the group marched, the further they went, the more money would be raised to support organizations that opposed their hateful goals. It was billed as Germany's most involuntary walkathon. And then instead of greeting the group with angry and opposing protesters that could easily devolve into violence, they instead put up banners welcoming them to the Nazis against Nazi walkathon. Signs along the route encouraged the walkers to keep going so that they would raise more money. Organizers even put out a table with bananas and water to help them keep up their energy so that they could keep walking and keep raising money that would ultimately hinder their cause. At the end, the organizers passed out certificates to the marchers reminding them of how much they'd raised to support a group that helps neo-Nazis to defect from the movement. In other words, they found a creative and peaceful way to choose to not repay evil with evil, but to overcome evil 
with good. And given the angry and sometimes violent confrontations in many of our nation's cities this summer, I wonder if such a strategy could also work here, maybe even locally, as a way to respond to hate-filled groups that are around us. I, of course, don't suggest that any of you try this alone, but together, as a community, as a church, in partnership with other good people, maybe we too can find new ways to overcome evil with good. Now, I know it's easy, perhaps too easy, to issue a challenge like that and then walk away into retirement. But I hope that it's a challenge not all that different from things I've been proclaiming and preaching and challenging here for the past 23 years. As the saying goes, church isn't just somewhere you go. It is something you are, together, the body of Christ, something totally holy and yet something fully human at the same time. Just like Jesus. Something worthy of your best gifts, your first fruits, something that I've been privileged to be called to serve, and something I will cherish until my days are done. You have a good and gracious God, remember that. Loving and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. You have leaders, Emmanuel clergy and lay people who have been called and devoted themselves to seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance into a most uncertain future. You have God's faith-creating and sustaining word spoken into your ears every Sunday, and the food of the Lord's table to strengthen and deepen your faith and your fellowship with one another. You have everything that Paul took the first 11 chapters of Romans to proclaim, new and eternal life in Jesus Christ as a free gift of God's grace. So go ahead. Let love be genuine. Hold fast to what is good. Be ardent in spirit. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Live generously. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Associate with the lowly. And so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Make that your ethic. Instead of conforming to the self-centered, prideful, dismissive of others, name-calling, crass and demeaning, fear-mongering and racist talk that is so prevalent in our culture and our politics, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, living by a behavioral standard that not only transform your life, but also your world. Discover the most amazing and miraculous truth that evil, even evil, can be overcome with good. And, my dear friends, may the peace of God dwell in you richly, that peace which surpasses all human understanding. May God bless you and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.